two very cranky and very tired middle-aged men continued their discussion on creating a religion for the greater good of humanity. advocating a, a type of return to tribalism in a way um yeah. how do you high tech <laughs> multidisciplinary tribal you, culture what does that even look like um it definitely is a return to nature right it, we'd have to restore the entire ecosystem that would be an actually a worthwhile public works for everybody to get in on that to actually yeah. restore nature and to yeah. you know build dwellings and the way of life where you can still be still have your internet and still have your iphone but somehow still be you know one with nature i love the idea in star trek you know where they talk about um and i'm not like a trekkie by any stretch of the imagination but i've definitely watched my fair share of star trek through, through the years and the whole idea of the replicator becoming the kind of essential invention that creates an overall human society where everyone can dedicate themselves to the pursuit of happiness and knowledge because there's no longer a need to produce food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That that uh, post scarcity economy is what people started calling that. Right. The post scarcity economy. Um, but the whole idea of that, right? I mean, again, I just haven't done a deep. I think you probably have done deeper dives into the trek universe than than i have but uh but just yeah, that much mindset. Weight, much direct. <laughs> yeah but that whole mindset right i mean are, am i right there like that's kind of the essential invention yeah thing, yeah right? it was it was the big deal like and they've even taken the opportunity to criticize themselves from it in story you know other cultures meet them or different timelines meet them and they're like yeah, yeah it's easy to talk about peace and you know fellowship when you know no one's hungry like yeah people have to do hunger but yeah. But I've mentioned before, like we're we're post scarcity now. But since we're capitalist and post scarcity, you know, a few people hoard all the goods. Right, right, exactly. We have enough to distribute. So then that would probably be. I mean, if you look at what what a religion does when it's sort of working the best, is it understands how to look at and diagnose the particular ills of a society at any given time, and then. and then grows it from there, right? So when we look at our society, yeah. it's we're post scarcity, but it doesn't look like it. Yeah. yeah, it's more. It's there's there's more of a divide than ever in history. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So the very first thing, then, besides you know, um, you know, when you shall not dominate a human. I guess the way the the way to kind of parse that out is thing one: everyone has to have access to everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Like all the essentials for life, food, water, clothing, shelter. Food, and, water, clothing, shelter. And then we, you know, if we're doing a neo-tribal, then, you know, the shelters will look radically different and the food will look radically different and all that stuff because it has to be without destroying the planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Right. Right. And even restoring the planet is going to take like some high level science. Right? You're talking about high level genetics here, bringing species back, for example. Right. Right. Although the planet, I mean, you know, we're we're living in a in a time that's been really I mean, we we saw what happened to the planet when, you know, the entire planet just kind of stopped driving. 
for two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. You know, stop producing for two and a half, three weeks. And I mean, California, the sky is blotted out with fire now, but uh, I've never seen such a blue sky before. Have you? Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, animals are coming back into the neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's been like at least three species, and I couldn't name them off the top of my head now because I literally hadn't heard about them until recently, uh, that they thought were gone, they, that they found again, <laughs> just because people aren't trampling over everything. <laughs> so, yeah, it has the capacity to, to, to bounce back, and, you know, we could help that along and maybe even figure out how to, uh, you know, return some animals uh, uh, that we might consider dangerous in the way that wouldn't be dangerous to us, you know, right. 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 So, so if the Bible doesn't, if the, the new Bible doesn't start with, you know, you know, what follows is probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> then, then maybe there's something like uh, these, these are what we believe needs to happen right now in order to get to a place where, you know, such and such can be achieved. Right. Like we're, uh... we're, we're shadowed by our own limitations in a way there, right? I mean, uh, at least for me, it's very hard for me to conceptualize the things that are beyond my ability to conceive of. You know, we had this whole conversation of just how long it took to drag me into this whole like, yeah, capitalism is wrong mindset, right? It took a long time to drag me there. Now now you're talking about like doing away with privacy? What the fuck, man? (laughs) (laughs) My, you know, I'm like looking around at my apartment, like how many people am I sharing this place with now? <laughs> yeah, and community I, means a whole another thing when it's tribal, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, well, uh, those are dis- dis- discussions worth having, if, if nothing else. I'm a very private person myself, so yeah, 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 exactly. So it just it kind of gets like really hard to imagine, you know. And we've also talked about, um, you know, from like when we were kids we would try to conceptualize of things that we couldn't think of because of our limitations. And, um, and nowadays, you know, today's youth population is teaching us things that we couldn't even conceptualize of when we were kids. You know, when, when we were kids, just thinking about like gender identity and sexual identity and things like that, like, you know, the whole, um, you know, we were obviously very liberal and so very accepting of people who were gay, straight, bisexual, everything in the middle. But we sure. thought of it as a single continuum. On one end yeah. of the spectrum, there's straight. On the other end of the spectrum, there's gay. Most everybody falls somewhere in the middle, and that's that's what you know, right? But but nowadays we understand that it's more like a color spectrum, and um, and you've got people who aren't even on the spectrum that we're talking about there that are identifying in completely different ways, and so yeah. our ability to kind of stay modern and stay relevant is our ability to keep up with these things that kids are that young people really understand much better than us. So I think I think the term I want to use for what you're talking about is uh, calling it instead of laws, moral imperatives, like the stuff you have to do right now. Like we have biological imperatives and we have have some moral imperatives like it's that urgent. This isn't like a far off thing. This isn't, oh, do it if you can. It's like, no, this is like essential to survival of yourself and the species. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And in a way, if, if we're not talking about a new Bible, then what we're sort of talking about here is a worldwide constitution with Bill of Rights. Yeah, for sure. For right. Sure. I mean, that's that's kind of how the Bible works. The Bible is kind of the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights all rolled up into one. Yeah. It's like you say, OK, well, here's the rules and these are why we have the rules. So it's like, you know, these are inalienable rights from God, essentially, they say. And like, so here are the rights that are from God. So. Right. We're we're doing a, a why and a what too, but a, a little differently. 
Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so where do we go from there then? I don't know. I, I feel satisfied with that. <laughs> Anything else, we're probably going to dig ourselves into a hole. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the only other thing I wanted to talk about, I kind of don't want to talk about now because this is like such a positive note, which is like uh, when I really figured out how the cult of Trump works. <laughs> like, All right, give it to me. It's like, it it's me. like unabashedly simple. <laughs> Let's hear it. So like I, I feel Trump is uh, basically capitalism as a religion made flesh. Like, you know, Jesus is like the word made flesh. Jesus. Trump is capitalism made flesh. Jesus Christ, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm thinking this is it. It's like, basically, his, it's like three tenets. Uh, do whatever you want uh-huh. to whoever you want and get away with it. Yep. Apologize to no one. Yep. And everything is permissible. Like, that's it. Like... <laughs> Everyone, and here's the thing, that appeals to everyone some which way. Like, so it's like, if you had unlimited money and power, essentially, right? Right. That grants you all three of those things. Uh, they're all kind of extensions of one thing. But, uh, so even if you looked at Trump and say, well, I wouldn't act like he would with, with that money and power, you still like the idea of going by your own rules and being untouchable. So you yeah. can do whatever you want. Yeah. That's, that's the appeal like so even if you don't like what he does with it you you would still want to be in that position and that's right. going to be oh, it's like a dark part of, of our personality but it's there and it's real and you know i guess that's how you get 33 to now 40 something odd percent of the population behind you how how did we get here is this 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 type of behavior that that we see you know in trump um, this type of behavior that we see in humanity is this—is this really a human nature issue? Like, is it really in human nature to to behave like this, or or what? I feel that human nature is infinitely malleable. Yeah, if you teach the right things early enough, that's how it's going to be. Like some of the yeah. cultures that have come and gone on this planet are so extreme from each other, right? Yeah. That it's like all things are really possible with a human brain, just about. Like, right. We could, we could really build this thing like any way you wanted. Like, if, right. if there was a, if there was quote unquote the political will to do it, you know, we could fix these things in a generation. Because you don't really have to uh, walk the walk. <laughs> But you do have to talk to talk so that the next generation will actually embody these things. Right. Um, like, you know, our when I say our parents, I just mean our generation or specifically might have held certain biases that they don't pass on to the next generation because they hold it still because that's how they were raised. But they know times are different and it doesn't make sense to put that on your on your child. That was actually a phrase I heard all the time, like uh from my mother when my grandmother would say something inappropriate for example she would right. say the phrase don't put that on the children right other, don't take your hang-ups your inner demons your prejudices and fears and biases and put it on another generation right or a different right. time let them figure out what's going on we have no idea what's going on it's like totally different now <laughs> like you think it's the same but it's not the same 
right. they're going to have to go on this journey. Don't you know put anything else on them that, that doesn't need to be there. That's, a, that's what I used to say to myself when I would get those weird, like, antiquated lessons from my grandfather. You know, or I, I would just say, I'm going to go ahead and let that belief die with you. <laughs> that's the total right thing to do. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that doesn't seem relevant to today at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's bananas. Um, I, I uh, Yeah, I really struggle with this stuff, right? I mean, it, it's hard to sort of parse out. I mean, on one hand, I really do believe that most people are basically good in their core. Yeah. That's absolutely a part of my belief system. And I, and I see it everywhere I go, you know. But and then I, I'm also- going to say, just because of my life experience, I, I actually started off believing the opposite. But now right. I actually believe as you do. I, like I'm the more distant I get from it, I realize that you know most children don't start off greedy and evil. <laughs> no, yeah. Like the the greed might just be to like give me all that food right now. That's about right. <laughs> be how it extends. But anything right. else, like they still share, they still hug everybody, like they they still have like the right impulses, and then that kind of has to be verbally or physically beaten out of them eventually. Right. Right. I, I know you, I, I know you kind of, I mean, we've talked like a little bit about this and I think if I'm correct, I think you think it's kind of like a little bit bullshit, but uh, the whole, um, the book uh, Sex at Dawn and when they compare and contrast the two other kind of great primates that were closest related to in chimpanzees and bonobos were like mm-hmm. as close to either of them. And um, the chimpanzee is a, a very human-like, you know, animal they they operate in large almost tribal systems sure Um, some of them have even entered the stone age at this point in terms of their use of tools yeah and they're way more violent than you know than we thought they're so fucking violent i mean they rape they murder they there's they make make group political plans together (laughs) yeah there's like seriously intergroup politics there's power takeovers there's war there's all that shit and, and the bonobo, on the other hand, although it's not as if male bonobos don't try to, you know, attack female bonobos, but they have a culture that, that has this kind of built-in protection. And um, mostly what they do is eat and fuck all the time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's really all they do. And they're creative as shit when it comes to the fucking, by the way. <laughs> like, so mm-hmm. creative. And, and again, I'm not like a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, but my understanding is, is that the reason why they were able to kind of become what they are is because of the specific environment that they live in. You know, there's no great threat to their existence, for example. There's plenty of food, plenty of space, and plenty of everything that they, that they need. And so as a species, that's what kind of created the ability for them to become like that, you know. So when you think about the humans as the greatest of all primates, you know, we've kind of got both potential, right? We, we've got, mm-hmm. we're part chimp and we're part bonobo. You know, on one hand, um, we rape and we kill and we murder and we um, are political and we push each other down in order to lift ourselves up. And on the other hand, there's opportunities for great connection, great love, really creative sex, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And it's like, what's the difference? So in a lot of ways, to me, like I think of this as, you know, if we're creating a new religion, the purpose of it is to propel humanity, like we said earlier in the conversation, to like the next phase of evolution, mm-hmm. right? which is to which is to look inside, push down the part of our DNA that's chimp like and lift yeah. up the part of our DNA that's bonobo like. 
right? In a sense, yeah, in a sense. What do you mean? Uh, in the sense that uh, you want to lean more towards peace and cooperation than uh, politics and violence. And right. uh, this weird drive to monopolize resources. Right, right. So so then that becomes the way to do it, right, is to, is to look around and say, you're right, we are post-scarcity. You know, we can uh, sort of create that type of, you know, environment where we can lift ourselves up and become more like the bonobo side of us than like the chimp side of us. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm a little bit stuck on, you know, the, I, I'm not 100% convinced that we, that we need a Bible per se, just because I do think, you know, that there are religions that aren't story centric. And, um, you know, when you look at like Hinduism or Buddhism, for example, they're not story centric. I think it's really. Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's definitely well, not true. They have stories for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got the Upanishads. They're very, very rich, detailed stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not the same as it is for us. You know, they're not as they're not as essential as it is for us, where like in Judaism, for example, you know, you go to a Jewish service and there's a part of every service where you lift up the Bible. Like you lift up the Torah and demonstrate everything is centered around it. You know, it's, it's so completely centered to its core. Whereas in Hinduism and Buddhism, you know, you've, you've really got a practice that's more central in a lot of different ways to kind of get mm, at it. So it could be the story. It could also be meditation. It could be service and good and things like that. Right. So it's yeah. not as like, not as lifted up, I guess I mean to say there. Sure. Um, we could, you could split the difference and do, uh, uh, the 12 apostles had this thing and I'm probably going to mispronounce it, uh, called the D decay, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. Um, and it was basically shortly after, uh, Jesus passed, they got together and say, Hey, we need to come up with some kind of system here. Like, what are we doing now? Did, right. did the master's gone. Right. And, uh, so it was kind of like a short treatise of like, you know, what's our ethics and what are we going to do in the world? Right. And, it was m interesting because it was mostly not centered around religious practice. I mean, they had the baptism. That was an important thing. Right. And I think the Eucharist as well. But then after that, it was like, okay, uh, we have to take care of the sick, the poor, the widows. Uh, and it was basically like the altruism of like, how do we take care of the people who are struggling the most in the, the community and the world? Right. Uh, it was kind of, so it's interesting. I mean, I think that that, didn't become like the main thing, even right. though it was the first thing that got written after he died. Right. Right. And it's like, well, you know, that would be a religion everybody could get behind, right? <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it lacks a power structure. And then, you know, I guess little by little things got chipped away and reinvented. I'm like, but that's like a pretty, it's a pretty uh, benign ethical text. Yeah. You know, and, so, and it, so it doesn't involve like, you know, any creation story or any stories, really. It's just like, OK, yeah. you know, well, uh, this is what we're taught. This is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to propagate. I had this uh, friend in rabbinical school who made a really good point. Um, we were talking one day and she said that it's really interesting how every nation and culture in the world sort of lifts up and monumentalizes the thing that they can never fully achieve somehow, you know? So like if you go to Israel and you walk around and drive around that whole nation, 
pretty much all of the monuments that are created there, like all of the big statues, all of the things that are there are um, about peace, all of them. And that's the one thing that they never achieved there. And when you come to America, pretty, pretty much all of the monuments, like all of the big things that we build and try to lift up here in America is about freedom. And that's the one thing we've never been able to fully achieve here. Yeah, uh, about freedom and a good 50 to 60 percent of them are about segregation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, that's that's somebody's freedom, I guess. The freedom yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Right. So we, yeah. we tend to monumentalize the thing that's that we want the most but can never achieve for some reason. Sure. You know? um, that is an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. A really, really interesting dichotomy and um, kind of sad in a way, you know, Definitely. but, uh, but, but speaks to what we talked about in the beginning in terms of like, well, fuck, man, I'm born in the middle of the story and I die in the middle of the story. Like I inherited all this shit and I can't fix it before I die, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's why this uh, thought experiment works way better as okay, you're building a, a culture from the ground up than it does. Well, how are we going to reverse this massive <laughs> tidal wave of shit? Like, <laughs> it's yeah. like I'm off course. I can't steer this. It's literally a river of shit we're flowing. <laughs> like, I'm turn this around. I don't want to be in a server shit. Somebody please help. <laughs> It's like, Andre, uh, you're a thou shalt not have dominion over another human. It's not going to get us off of this river of shit. We're fucked. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, man. no, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. It was like, yeah, it works way better when you're saying, okay, society's already destroyed itself and we're starting over. No, no one knows anything. Um, yeah, and yeah. like we said previously, unfortunately, I think the only way this thing would get off the ground is like, uh, like some kind of violent struggle. Right, right. In other words, you know, the big comet comes down, destroys the earth. Every yeah. every human is killed except for the exact amount that it would take to yeah. rebuild the population without having like just a bunch of inbred motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> or some kind of religious war where the victors are just like, you're going to respect each other or else. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Talk about a benevolent dictator. Lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah exactly kind of like that random uh like big kid who like you know stops the little kids from fighting and it's just like now shake hands (laughs) 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 oh man yeah is that really peace right (laughs) (laughs) there's this uh this this uh uh old congregant of mine that i'm you know on like linked up on instagram with and um he had this he posted this question that was something like, should Trump get credit? Should Trump get the Nobel Peace Prize for um, creating uh, peace treaties between Israel and like the United Arab immigrants? No. <laughs> right. They and, were already at peace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking, I mean, all that piece was like based off of years of clandestine military, you know, like really, really decades of clandestine military, whatever. And it, But the yeah. other piece is like, you know, okay, so uh, a, an American president with really strong fascist tendencies 
an Israeli prime minister, <laughs> really strong fascist tendencies, yeah. and fucking fascist Arab countries form peace, and we think that this might be good for humanity? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's, no, that's not what's actually going what on. What is this, there. like the meeting of Hitler and Mussolini? Yeah, great. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. There's nothing bad's going to happen with that. No, <laughs> no, none whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm really conceptualizing this creating a new religion project is how to take the world as is and build something new. I'm yeah. realizing that now. And you are really conceptualizing it as, as no, no, the, let's let's pretend the world has been destroyed. And and then how are we building it up from there? Right. Yeah, because yeah, then you don't have to worry about the uh, how do you get there part. Um, because right. the how do you get their parts, and it's the same thing with politics is like, uh, and capitalism and things like that. It's like, well, you have to change this, and you have to change that, and you have to change that. It's just like, and then it seems impossible. Right. And then it's like, but let's just take it as like the foundation. All things are possible. The, right. This, this is clearly possible. Like, th- how you get there is a whole other thing. We know how you get there. You're going to have to make them do it. Like, uh, right. those who do not believe will have to be made to believe by force. I think Machiavelli said something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like the, the only people who don't have to do that are people who have been given, like, the gift of God to, like, go in and kind of, like, just talk people into it somehow. Right. And you can't rely on that. So you are going to have to rely on, like, your force of arms. Right. Right. Uh, it's fucking depressing, man. <laughs> it's depressing as fuck. Yeah, because when you look at it this way, it's actually very easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just like everybody just stop, like just just stop. <laughs> right. Stop. Well, then, well, it's then like it's stop a, being a dick. Like right. Well, then it's a question like from that starting point, you know, how do you how do you build it up with the right kind of checks and balances to make sure that humanity stays centered and good, you know, and doesn't like lose control again. Right. I mean, that's sort of what the thought experiment becomes, um, as opposed to how do we take where it is and then bring it to this place? Um, you know, I just wish there's, there's, a, there's a really great uh, book or essay. Uh, I forget how old it is. It's, it's quite old, maybe like 1700s, maybe before or probably that long. Uh, it's called The Politics of Disobedience. Okay. Uh, Etienne, some French name or the other. Uh, I should, I guess. It's a short read. It's like 80, 100 pages. Okay. But I can really sum it up like just this simple, but it's apropos to, to all these discussions, which is yeah. stop serving tyrants. <laughs> 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 all right. Like the, the p- people who are in power are in power because people are doing what that person tells them to do. Right. Just don't do it. Right. Just don't. It's like, oh, he's the president. Uh, we have to. No, you don't have to. <laughs> you right. don't have to. Like, this is less like for, you know, you, you and I, we don't work in the White House. Uh, you know, it, it, the main thing, though, is the people around him, his cabinet, the people he's hired, his guards, the military, the rest of Congress and the Senate, etc. Just stop following orders. Yeah. If you stop following orders. He's just a lunatic rambling to himself in the hallway. That's right. That's, That's right. You don't have to start a war. That's why I bring this up. You don't have to start a war to change things. We always think we have to start a war. But the reason you have to start a war is because those people who are in the circle of power want to have that power that radiates around that one per- excuse me, that one person, regardless of uh, the consequences to everybody else. 
Right. And it, or even to themselves. They're willing to get killed themselves, actually, in these situations yep. or go to jail themselves or get blamed or scapegoated themselves just to have the opportunity to have dominion over everybody else like we were just talking about. Right. But it's so easy to stop. It's so easy to stop. And that's why when these revolutions happen, everybody gets decapitated. They're not going to just go get the, the Mussolini's and the Hitler's. They're going for everybody who followed orders like they always do because right. all you had to do was not do it. Right. And the excuse of, well, I had to, he was in charge, is not going to fly. No. No. So everybody who's listening to this, or read the politics of, this, of the politics of obedience, uh, I think it's in the subtext, or the subtitle of it is The Discourse of Voluntary Servitude. Right. 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 And it's, it, it basically says what it says now, just, just stop following orders. Like, right. You don't have to. You know it's wrong. You know right from wrong. On an instinctual level, just stop doing it. And then let's do the right thing. It's crazy how often people want other people to tell them what to do. Yeah. You know, I saw that as a rabbi quite a bit, you know, where people would come to me for advice and they said they wanted advice, but really what they wanted was answers. What do I do? Yeah. Right. And it was so disappointing to them when I refused to tell them. Yeah. You know, it's like... I. You have to figure this out yourself, man. <laughs> like, I know what I would do, but right. how is that helpful for you? You know? Yeah, because if it goes wrong, well, Rabbi Josh said. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, I mean, you know, I always come back to education. I mean, that that's the key thing for me, you know, is, uh, is it has to be education. So, I mean, if there's going to be rules you know in the bible then in the new bible then i mean the first thing is you're right you know there's no dominion over your fellow man and then the second rule is you shall not allow yourself to be dominated right mm. it, has, it has to go both ways so you're not allowed to dominate but you're not also not allowed to be dominated uh, that's actually a great rule right yeah the two need to go hand in hand they need to go hand in hand so that there's a moral imperative to you know rise up and not take it stand on your own hundred percent, you know, so that, so we're really lifting up the individual here. Right. In order to lift up the entire society. Right. Right. That's very Western of us, by the way. <laughs> it's like, it's like, we, like, I want people to be educated. I want people to think, and I want to think and be educated, but like there, there is like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a weird biological efficiency to just like not doing so. Right. That's why it's like so hard to fight. Like, you know, thinking costs a lot of energy. Right. <laughs> right. right. And, uh, you know, thinking on these multi layers and causality and right and wrong and all this stuff is just like, no, let me just outsource that to somebody else. They're happy to do it. Right. Like, so I, I don't know if we can force people to think or not, but I, I would love to. But I guess more important is like, if you can't think, then do. And then here's the rule. So I guess we do need something written down. So here's what you do. Right. You don't dominate and you don't permit yourself to be dominated on a very basic level. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, so that should raise red flags. It's just like, I'm feeling like a weird pressure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I don't like it. I'm not going to do that. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you're like, I don't do it to you. Don't do it to me. Like, right. And so like in, in this type of culture, you'd have like an endless amount of unions, essentially. If, yeah. if there's still, if, if there's still in, in any kind of capitalist structure, there's unions with tremendous power. And your position is merit-based. Your position is knowledge and merit-based. 100%. Right? And interest-based. 
right? I mean, look at right, your your mutual interest. More yeah. than any. You see those like, uh, you know, like eye candy videos and stuff on like Instagram and YouTube, where it's just like someone who's like incredibly efficient, incredibly efficient, like on an assembly line. You know what I mean? Where like they, they know exactly how to like take the bottles and put it in the thing and put it in the thing and everything else. And then when you look at how they're doing it, there's almost a joy for them in doing it that way. Right? There are a lot of people who really dig that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm telling you, like for me, you know, um, you know, I, I, I basically doing, you know, white collar work for a long time now between my years as a rabbi and now as an executive recruiter, it's straight white collar work. You know, you're, it's a vocational kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to it for me where I'm like sitting there on a computer and just like scrolling through different profiles and looking up different people and trying to find the right talent for the right position and stuff like that. And like the way my mind works, that job is like, perfect for me. But if there was like a career path where I could make enough money to live putting together Ikea furniture for people, I'd, <laughs> I'd love that shit. Cause that's like a meditative activity for me. Sure. You know what I mean? Just sitting down, looking at directions. Some people, they look at that shit and they just collapse because sure, sure, it's not like fun for them. Whereas for me, like, you know, I take my time, I lay it out. Like, you know, I it's, and, and I can spend hours doing that. And then when I finish, it's like, I feel great. You know, because yeah. that's just the way my mind is built. It's it's that sort of thing is why I really think that uh, there is a job for someone in a post for everyone in a post scarcity economy. Like yeah. so, when, when, once money's out of the equation and they say, okay, just just go do your thing. I mean, you can't pay that unregulated, but you know, essentially go do what you know brings brings your bliss. Yeah, everything will still get taken care of, and if it doesn't, then we address it then. Yeah. We but, but I would actually be mildly surprised if there was any need left unfilled. Yeah, I would too. I would too, you know. But I think it's recasting, you know, the things that, the things that we work. I, I, I tossed at you and you disagreed with it in, the last, um, in our last conversation. But I tossed at you the idea of thinking of a Bible as a technology, mm -hmm. right? Um, and when you think about, like, what the original, you know, what the the Old Testament was, what the Torah was, it really was for those people, the height of what technology could be, because for them, the highest technology was the written word. Mm -hmm. And it created for the first time for them an opportunity to kind of have their opinions be propelled into the future beyond their own lives. You know, their experiences being propelled into the future beyond their own lives. What an exciting concept. You know, for the first time in human history, they could communicate with generations down the road. And, um, and here we are communicating with them just by reading it. Right. So it's like, so exciting. Sure. Um, so when you think about like what we're building here is we're, we're building, you know, in an ideal world, a technology that can be utilized by humanity to create and sustain this type of, you know, um, perfect utopian kind of society. Right. Yeah. Um, that encourages people to, find their true selves, find their calling, and then just do that, you know, and be happy. I had, I just, uh, totally not related, but for some reason, I just had this uh, <laughs> uh, formation of a recollection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it Asimov who had like three rules about uh, dealing with artificial intelligence or how to program an artificial intelligence so it wouldn't like end up kind of like taking over what were they? Um, I'm trying to remember. I had something. I should just look it up, but I won't. 
Um, but basically, it, it was something along the lines of uh, you couldn't harm a human with a rule. Yeah. And you couldn't also, by inaction, allow harm to come to a human. I remember the, those were two of them. I can't remember what the third was. But that almost needs to be written into this as well, something like that. It's yeah. like, okay, so you're not dominating, you're not being dominated, but that doesn't absolve you. It's like almost answering the question, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Like, Right. Yeah, I also have to actively be looking out for each other's good. Doesn't the Hippocratic Oath have something like that in there too? Yeah, yeah, there is something similar to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. But that's like the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. But that's all we're looking for because – like, I'm not trying to tell people how to live their life, essentially, and only to the point where we don't want them impeding on everyone else's life right. and minimizing everybody else's life. So that's that's kind of like enough. Right. Like, you need just very minimal, like, go out after that. Like, if you're not going to dominate me, if you're not going to keep me from resources uh, and and we add to that in an emergency, you have to look out for me and I have to look out for you. And this is all universal. I don't really need much more than that. <laughs> like, right. Right. And neither does anybody else. Like I keep saying we need to start treating people like adults. Right. And politicians by and large do not treat people like adults. No. Religious leaders definitely don't treat people like adults. And like you said, there's this propensity for people who want to be told what to do. And to a certain extent, this religion is going to have to tell people like, I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've got like these five or six things that are like the eternal immutable laws that are there to guarantee the survival and prosperity of our species. After that, you need to go out there and figure it out. That's maybe, the work of being a, an adult human in this world. Maybe that's a, maybe those are the first words of the Bible, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if it's not the first words, it's definitely in the first page. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, 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 critically important and like once we get that stuff out of the way we can say okay and there's like kind of like a story of what it would look like right 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 to almost start it like you know bottom line is it's up to you but here's what we think you know (laughs) yeah 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 kind of take it from there all right um and and by the way like you know the jewish bible at least becomes really really just like an exposition of laws um, I mean, that, that's really what it becomes. I mean, you know, you've got the Ten Commandments and that fools people into thinking there's just Ten Commandments. And as a matter right. of fact, there's like over a hundred, I believe. There's 633. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, Even more than I remember. Yeah. Or is it six? It's 613, 613 commandments. Six, six, six would have been a far better number. The bullshit, by the way, there's like a little kind of like a story about 613 where they say that. 613 commandments and um, a certain number of them are positive commandments and a certain number of them are negative commandments, meaning the positive commandments are the thou shouts and the negative commandments are the thou shalt nots. And there Mm. are 365 negative commandments and then whatever the number is left positive commandments. Sure. Um, And uh, the, the supposedly the, the number that's left corresponds with the number of bones in the human body. (laughs) <laughs> that's a reach that's a reach it's like, a see, reach. see divine divine yeah, will divine providence reach. i know it's such bullshit it's such bullshit but uh but uh the the you know the kind of moral lesson there is that you know everything good is within you and uh and then you know you basically spend every right. day of the year you know trying to avoid the things that are bad you know so to speak but uh but 
uh, uh, ancient Jews, you know, the Israelites used to actually ritualistically a couple times a day read the Ten Commandments. And then the rabbis, the early rabbis, became concerned that that the Jewish people were going to hear that and think that the Ten Commandments were more important than the other 603, right? right? And so they did away with that ritual and instead started reading, um, they said, instead started doing a prayer called the Shema, which is this um, prayer where, you know, there's a bunch of different parts, but you're basically talking about, um, you know, uh, loving the loving the Lord your God and, um, you know, how you kind of follow these commandments, etc. So it's a, it's a really interesting kind of tension that happens there, you know. But I love the idea of having as few commandments as possible, right? Yeah, because, sure. Because as much as, I, as much as, like, I think that in a way we should think about how to combine science and religion into not exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, but at least a Venn diagram, um, which is uh, probably something to talk about maybe in the next episode, because we're like already an hour and a half into this one. Um, but uh, but um, really, really keeping those two things separate from government. And then government becomes, you know, the way in which, or whatever, not if not government, leadership becomes the way in which we try to, you know, shape the society to fulfill the few commandments that we have, right? So if the, if the two main commandments are, you know, thou shalt not dominate, and thou shalt not be dominated, right? Yeah. What are the systems of laws that sort of grow off of that? And do yeah. we even need them, you know? Yeah. And that that's the kind of thing that I just say, like, well, pe- people listen to that and say, well, these laws are not perfect. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. But the, it's the great starting point that each generation needs to take up and argue about and then figure out how to implement those things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So even the yeah. like the no dominion over every thinking thing. What is a thinking thing? You know, that's for you guys to figure it out. I'm not going to micromanage that. Right. Uh, right. Oh, so I just I just cheated and looked up Asimov's three laws uh, right, so right. in regard to robots, and they're they're not perfect. Everybody knows they're not perfect. Asimov said they're not perfect, but yeah. when you add, add them to a greater whole and replace the word human or replace the word robot with human, I think it would make sense. But anyway, here they are. Uh, a robot may not injure a human being through action or through inaction or allow a human being to come to harm. Uh-huh. Uh, two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So that's why I forgot that what, that would have to be thrown out. Okay. I'm talking about people, not robots. Do they, say that one uh, again. Say that one again. I want to hear it. Uh, so the other one, the second one says a robot must obey orders given to it. So I said that's probably why, <laughs> yeah, I, that one. why I didn't remember the third one because it wouldn't be apropos to humans. Yeah. Good Lord. What is there that? was it, yeah. yeah. Um, Hello, FBI. Um, yeah. <laughs> a robot must protect its own existence uh, as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Yeah. yeah. So really only the first one applies, which is don't allow any harm uh, to come to another human being yeah. through action or inaction. Yeah. I think yeah. that through inaction is almost stronger than through action. Yeah. Yep. It's so interesting, man. God, it's so interesting. You know, I don't know. It's really interesting. I my my, my wheels are turning hardcore. Mm-hmm. That's a know? that's a good place to to be at. Yeah, it's definitely a good place to be at. All yeah, right, my, my wheels were turning for the the whole whatever amount of time since the last talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I've been busy having the sun blotted out by fire. <laughs> so. it's, it's just the apocalypse. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. All right. What else are we talking about this episode? We got any other topics we're going to cover? I have nada. So I'd love to dive into next episode, how to turn science and religion into more of a Venn diagram. I'd love to talk about that. Um, Perfect. Because I think uh, that they should be one of the I want to get my, my cousin on board with that. Yeah, let's see if we can get your cousin on board. If he can join us, great. If not, it's fine. We'll he might, he might be available uh, tomorrow night. All right. If you're available. I'm available. Yeah, which I, but that's going to probably be more of a Q&A because like, when it comes to uh, quantum physics, is where he's going with this. His brain's a lot bigger than mine. Yeah, I know, I know a thing or two about it. Like, I, I can't really understand it as it is, but I can understand it as a from a theological mindset. Like, if I read about right. it and then try to get into it via the gateway of theology, then I get it. Um, but uh, but if I try to understand just the science of it, I get fucking lost. Yeah, same here. So, same here. Yeah, all right. So. I definitely, that's definitely something where, you know, I need all those metaphors. We're talking about metaphors a lot. That's the perfect example of why we need them. Yeah, <laughs> Same thing with me. I, I, I had to like work so hard for my C minus in math all through college <laughs> and all through high school and stuff. But then I get to college, I took a logic, I took a class in logic, which is basically yeah, yeah. The, the mathematics of language and creating arguments and things like that. True right? is always true unless it's false. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and somehow I got an A plus in that class because put it in language and I could totally understand it.